Hi guys, it's Annie McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. I'd like to apologise for the slight delay getting an episode out recently. Unfortunately, I have just had COVID, which delayed the edit and release of today's show. But on today's long-awaited episode, we have a conversation between myself and Jesse Wright. Jesse is the founder of the Balance the Bar initiative. He is a high-performance consultant, an Amazon best-selling author, a coach and a public speaker. His career so far has spanned over two decades in the team sports environment, including work with organisations in the NBA, the NFL, the NCAA and in private sports training. So he has a wealth of knowledge and experience, as you'll hopefully hear in today's chat. Today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard. The Nordboard has become the gold standard for assessing field-based hamstring strength. By combining advanced sensors, real-time data visualizations, and cloud analytics, the Nordboard helps practitioners to accurately measure, monitor, and train individuals' hamstring strength or imbalances. To learn more about the Nordboard, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. One quick announcement. If you haven't signed up yet, next week, Inform Performance has our first sporting hand and wrist webinar, presented by former guest Ian Gatt. Head to our website, informperformance.com, to sign up for that clinical webinar so you don't miss out. In the meantime, you're listening to Inform Performance, and here is today's episode between me, Andy McDonald, and today's guest, Jesse Wright. Jesse, a local man to, uh, to me for once on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So obviously we've met uh, we've met in person before, which as a podcast host through the sort of COVID and 2020, 2021 era is rare. But um, can you sort of tell your can you tell our listeners your background and give us your sort of backstory from your career beginnings through to the current day? Yeah, sure. It was a great chat we had over coffee, right? We did get the chance to meet in person. I know that's different than that, than what you normally get to do. So that, that was good. Um yeah, my, my background most recently spent 14 years with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA in, in two different roles. Uh, for nine years, I was the head strength and conditioning coach and five years uh, occupied a role called the director of performance science, which was you know, a mixed bag of nutrition and wearable technology and recovery and kind of like a, a glue position to help all the other departments kind of uh, do their job a little bit better. And under, under the direction of a, a brilliant uh, director and sports scientist, David Martin. So that those were really good years. And prior to that, I worked for a private sports training company uh, where we trained primarily middle school through high school athletes, but but dealt with college and pro as well. And there were a couple high-level contracts that that company had. St. Joe's University was one of them. So uh, I functioned as a strength coach amongst a, a group of people from the company that served that contract over at St. Joe's. Uh, prior to that company, I was primarily in, in American football. So I, had, I was the head strength coach at Hofstra University for a season and uh, worked over in NFL Europe for, for a season with the Barcelona Dragons. And that was way back in the year 2000. And then prior to that, just coming out of undergrad, I was with the Philadelphia Eagles for an internship slash part-time assistant role, and then originally started uh, in undergrad as an undergraduate strength coach at Temple University. So that's kind of the, the lineage backwards. Some good good coaching variety there, especially the NFL Europe role. Um, 
a little bit different, especially in the, in the NFL league. I feel like now, um, you know, you recently yeah. you recently published a book titled "The, the Intent Is to Grow." Um, what I'm curious about, I guess, is firstly why you wrote the book, and then maybe as a bit of a two part question. It's got a very unique style as a book compared to maybe familiar coaching titles that we've all kind of grown up with. Why did you choose your unique style? If you can kind of um, shed some light on that as well. Sure. Yeah. The, the why behind it is, a, is, is an awareness and a, a recognition. And uh, I've said this in interviews and uh, it's written in the book and the introduction and everything. This concept of, of interpersonal skills or, or soft skills in high performance sport is so critical to not only the day to day, but long term success, lasting impact with either the athletes that you're coaching or serving, or amongst groups and collaborative efforts with your teammates, or any of the interactions you have with coaches and front office and everything. Your soft skill set, your ability to recognize strengths and weaknesses, and your empathy and compassion, and your communication style and approach, and your awareness of how your skill set and what you're good at fits within the larger whole, and how you can serve that team best, and everything. And there's a whole ongoing list of these these skills, so critically important. And there are people doing good work and calling attention to this, but I don't think it's enough. I'll continue to kind of beat that drum where I don't think it's talked about enough. So I wanted to kind of pile on and and add to that mix of uh, awareness and recognition that this is a skill set that can and should be developed. And that's where the book came from. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a different approach. It's a, it's a, you know, for, for lack of a better term or, or, or uh, theme to the book, it's a business parable. So it's a, it's a fictional story, a novel. And I chose that, me- that mode, that medium, because as we know, as we all experience, I think we learn best from stories. We like analogies. We like anecdotes. We all love the theory. We all love the literature and we all love the research. That's the core of what we, we like to read as high-performance practitioners. But to really cement and lock in and solidify concepts to where we truly embrace and understand them, we like the stories. We like the practical application. We like hearing the old crafty veterans talking about you know, how they applied something 15 years ago and how it actually uh, saw its way through to success in a challenging environment and you know stories about athletes and how did they receive coaching and how did they receive communication and you know what type of report what type of visualization was really effective and and how did you deliver it in a, a successful coaches meeting or something all of those stories I think really drive home messages in a big way so uh, I originally did intend the book to be a traditional kind of nonfiction, in-text citations, and a lot of references, and kind of that, you know, traditional professional development book that a lot of us have read. And then all of a sudden, I started rethinking it a little bit, and I said, I thought this could be better as a parable, you know, in line with some of the successful ones over the years, right? The Who Moved My Cheese, and The Fish, and the the um, I read one. There's a there's a, a one that I just got done reading called Coach to Coach. Really cool author that's put out two of them, Martin Rooney. That they're they're really cool stories where someone can place themselves in those situations, in those environments, and say, you know what, I I recognize what that character is going through, uh, and I see why he chose that. Or 
I, I was, I was in that environment and I made that mistake. I love that he chose a different route. Um, and I very much wanted the people, any of the readers to be able to place themselves in these, you know, it's a, it's a fictional university. It's a high performance environment with physical therapists and athletic trainers and dietitians. And I wanted people to be able to, to see themselves in that environment and going through some of the same situations that the, the primary character is going through. So that's, that's kind of where it came from. Did you find it easy to, easier to write a book that's maybe empirically inspired when you get the license to tell it as a story versus, you know, everybody in the field or any of the fields you just mentioned will be able to relate to writing an essay or a research paper when you, you know what you want to say or you know kind of maybe the direction of the work, but you have to find all these perfect and citable frameworks models papers and facts for them did you did it did you find it maybe a, a slightly easier writing process given that you could be a bit more free and I know you've got some references in the book but um yeah yeah was the style a, a more fluid process did you find I I would use the term marginally easier marginally <laughs> fluid because there were some real challenges built into writing a novel as well with character development and trying to bring to life the settings and the, each of the environments that, that the main character, Nathan, is exposed to and everything. Uh, there certainly wasn't the pressure to cite every single thought and everything, you know, taking it in a novel route, right? You, you've released some of that pressure with that approach, but, but it opened up some new challenges and never really having written a novel before. Those were unique challenges that I never really had to deal with before versus coming off, you know, writing a bunch of research papers for, you know, master's work and some courses I was taking and everything, which was a little more readily fresh, you know, in my skill set. So, uh, yeah, I, I think a little bit easier because you didn't have the rigidity of all the citations. But but uh, yeah, I think marginal is probably the best word for it. As a coach who's no doubt been mentored and also mentored others through your coaching career so far, have the the soft skills or the personal qualities and skills that make an effective coach or practitioner, have any of them changed over time? I know there'll be, of course, fundamentals that never change and certain skill sets that, you know, people require to be a good practitioner, a good human or good communicator. But have any of them changed just with the way that the, you know, perhaps the sports science field and how that's influenced how we practice, how that's changed over time? I'm just wondering if there's been any sort of shifts. Yeah, I, I don't know if the list has changed. I, I would think the same, you know, kind of standard list of soft skills could apply today and would have applied 10, 20, 50 years ago. Uh, I do think that maybe the the, the, the awareness or the knowledge to apply certain ones might be a little bit different right now. I think what, what comes to mind in, in response to your question is maybe, you know, with the, with the prevalence of sports technology, right now you move to a communication piece. You know, tech is bigger in the high performance sport world than it's ever been, right? With, you know, numerous, numerous, almost countless opportunities to use technology as an objective layer to decision making. But we all know that's just a piece, right? And it doesn't mean a whole lot unless you're able to communicate uh, what the data is and how it could affect decisions, right? And how it could be helpful. So that alters your communication a lot. How do you take, you know, <laughs> rows and columns and millions of data points and turn it into a message that someone wants to hear, uh, believes they need to hear, and regularly wants to consume it, right? Again, as a 
you know, a, a, a criteria point on the list of things that would influence any decisions on any one day. So I think that's tricky, right? And that that's not always easy to do, whether it's how do you visualize your tables and your graphs walking into a meeting, or once you have your tables and graphs, how do you actually explain what is really high level information and can get, can get pretty technical. And how do you package that message to the audience that you're talking to? Because that package might need to be different um, based on if you're bringing that report into a general manager's office and what he might want to hear and how he might want to listen to the information versus taking that same exact report into a coach's meeting and what they may need to hear and then maybe you bring it to the athlete as well. And maybe there's a one-to-one -one meeting where you want to go over a loading report from the previous day or looking at the last four weeks and how that might, you know, influence a decision on return to play or something. And, and those are different communication styles. So be able, so to be able to one, recognize that it needs to be different and then the ability and the knowledge to craft it, right. And maybe alter the table a little bit, you know, may, maybe the general manager loves and, and really understands a, a spider plot. <laughs> right. But the, the head coach hates that. So you better tweak the message and give him the bar graph or the line graph that he can get or or maybe he likes bullet points. Maybe he hates graphs. Right. And, <laughs> excuse me. So there's a little bit of uh, maybe compassion and empathy. Right. For understanding that, you know, I need to be open to what that coach or what that message receiver, how they want to hear it. And then. The ability to be flexible and adaptable and alter their communication style. And I think, again, in response to your question, you know, I, I think the degrees of which soft skills we need to hone in on in any one moment or any one week or month within our environments might change a little bit. But the, the standard set of skills, I don't know if, if that's different today versus the industrial age 100 years ago or anything. I think the, all that same list still applies. Yeah, it sounds like just small nuances have changed. Um, while we're talking mm -hmm. about communication, you know, when we, this, I think this is a good segue now, when we met, you told me about your uh, multiplanar communication model, which is obviously mm -hmm. something that's in the book, but uh, it's something that really jumped out and stood out to me, both in conversation and in reading the book. Would you be able to kind of uh, walk us through that and kind of how you developed it and how you can apply it? For sure. Yeah, I, I love talking about this, right? And the, the, the purpose of the model in the book, it's a, it's a visual reference point, uh, somewhat of a guide for shaping or fashioning your message according to the audience, similar to what we just talking about, right? You take a, a brief moment to consider who you are about to talk to, right? And craft the, the, the package that the message is delivered in, right? Because the same tone and volume and visualization and approach, if you use that same message package for everyone, you may not have a successful outcome. So the concept is to tailor the message. And what the model does is just as the planes of motion Sagittal, frontal, transverse, guy is a it's a common language for our understanding of human movement. The model provides a like a directional mode roadmap to lead you down a path to truly connect with your audience with your message. And that that's the reason it was developed. And uh, again, in the setting in the book, right, it's this college professor who's a an internationally renowned communication expert, and he came up with this model, and he basically built an entire college course around it. And you know, the the course is all about effective 
communication, right, within the um, within the other uh, again the fictional college environment, and the main character gets a chance to sit in on the class and learn a little bit about the model. So from there, you just you kind of look at the visualization, and and it involves a you know a central figure, the primary communicator, which any of us, any person, can place themselves in whatever type of communication opportunity exists. And then the planes basically define who is receiving the message and draw from the literature and the research on how to craft that message, depending on who you're talking to. So to go over the planes, if you want to kind of go in that direction, I'm not sure if you want to like talk, talk about that level of detail. Yeah, we can maybe go no, over no, it briefly. Sure. Yeah. I think be valuable. Yeah. So the, the sagittal plane, the theoretical communication sagittal plane is uh, is is communicating up so in the business world you're talking to board members and CEOs and anybody that kind of has chief in front of their ma- their name or departmental leads and there's a real strategy to communicating up and then the other part of that plane is you know the the communication down which the down is not you know referenced to be derogatory it's just like leadership speaking to members of a team uh, in the military space, it would be a higher rank speaking to a lower rank. It's coach to athlete or boss to teammate or or, or member of a team. Uh, and there's a, a different way uh, and communication style to that. So that would be the figurative sagittal. Now you look at the frontal plane, and that's kind of intra-staff communication. How do you deal with your colleagues or your team members or your friends that you work with? And how do you deal with them day to day? And how do you talk to them? And that that style is a little more personal, right? You might work in a lot of, you know, just casual informal talk from the weekend, who won the game or, you know, what happened at happy hour on Friday, right? And you, that's intermixed with like real talk about work and and some of the projects that are going on and some of the objectives and initiatives that are going on in your work environment. That's a, a much more informal approach communicating across. And then the transverse is interesting. That kind of has two layers built into it. And if we think about a team environment, and I'm sure this applies to a business as well, there's like this internal world that is associated with the logo and the brand, in our case, the team, but might not be directly involved with the project. So I think, or, or, or the initiative of that moment. So I think for the team environment, that's this, um, you know, you, you would talk about the details of a return to play case much differently amongst a high performance team the physio the strength coach the athletic trainer the dietitian the sports scientist you would all share detailed information the equipment manager the pr guy the uh developmental coaches right the coaching staff they need to know information about that but they might not need that level of detail that you would talk you know within the high performance meeting that's that internal transverse right these surrounding people and you could probably apply that to the business side as well right most teams have an entire business where they're selling tickets and they're doing branding and they're making corporate partnerships and their social responsibility they're going to be invested in that in that athlete's return to play but they don't need all the details and you tailor the message according to them. And then you have this extreme transverse, this external outside. Uh, and again, if we're talking in a team environment, that's your fans and that's the, the media and they are entitled, right? With their engagement and their affinity to the team, they're entitled to a message too, but they certainly don't get the same information that someone that works for the team does. And those two layers represent the transverse.
and, you know, kind of came up with a cool diagram with the PC right in the middle, right? And the vertical sagittal. And then you look at across with the transverse or across with the frontal. And then these arrows that suggest the transverse. And it becomes a visualization on, on how best to package your message, depending on who you're talking to. One of the things I'm really curious, because I think when you do anything that's developmental, especially on a personal level, um, parking knowledge and maybe the harder skills aside, more kind of how you communicate and your personal development, how do you recommend practitioners almost audit themselves or identify their needs? Of course, reflective practitioners might have a better idea of themselves than lesser lesser reflective practitioners, but what are some ways maybe that you would recommend a a coach or a sports scientist or a clinician, whoever it is, that they kind of identify maybe what their strengths and weaknesses are as it relates to being able to communicate in their environment? Sure. Uh, I, I think the, the first approach starts with the, the humility and the vulnerability to dig in right look look within and just acknowledge that this is probably a a quality that needs to be a part of me so that i can continue to grow and the really good analogy i think if if someone isn't naturally vulnerable and humble enough to do that is that we we ask our athletes you know let's take a strength and conditioning coach or 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 a physio physical therapist we we ask our athletes to learn every day probably an opportunity every single day that an athlete walks into a gym or a weight room and, and you're asking them to learn something. Maybe it's a new uh, movement pattern. Maybe it's a new progression. Maybe it's just something relative to a, a, a weight room IQ or something. But, but we ask them each and every day to come in with an open mind and to be coachable. And that's part of the job. That's what we understand. And we'd probably be pretty you know, maybe upset or, or, or we would see that as a challenge or difficult if the athlete did not want to learn. We can probably all think of examples from our day-to-day and our work environments with a difficult athlete where you're like kind of, why won't he listen? Why isn't he open to my coaching? So if we hold our athletes and the people we deal with every way to that standard and that coaching, shine that same light on ourselves, right? And And, and to start with the idea and the self-awareness to say, okay, I should be open to growing as well and start there. Apply the same thing we expect of our athletes to ourselves if we're a little resistant at first. And now you go to, okay, well, how do I do it, right? To the core of your question. And and I think it takes some uh, first recognition of kind of self-awareness where first you look within yourself and to your question, like your strengths and weaknesses. What, what am I really good at and what do I enjoy doing? What did my formal training prepare me to do? Maybe I am really good at pivot tables and data visualization. And that's where, that's where I know my strengths are. But when I start to work, when I, when I look at coaching, right, and coaching cues and to, to deliver a, an effective message on how to, you know, take a, a, a poorly executed hip hinge and bring the athlete to the well-executed hip hinge, I struggle there. And you're willing to like kind of look at those and say, here's where I'm good and here's where I'm not. And you've taken some time to look at that. And then you look at the second part of self-awareness, which is how, how do those, how do those strengths and weaknesses fit within the environment that I'm working in? Cause that's going to determine how well, how successful you are in that environment. If you know that your weakness is in coaching a hip hinge or any other movement pattern, when you're coaching up an athlete, 
that you can then lean on maybe somebody else that surrounds you to maybe first take ownership of that coaching and then help you grow along the way and be willing to say, hey, I know I am not good here. Can you teach me what you do? Can you help me uh, develop that skill set? Because you're really good there. Um, and it starts with awareness. And then it starts with kind of, again, the, the strength and the vulnerability to say, I need some help. And um, I, I think I hope that answers your question a little bit. Um, but those are kind of the two maybe like pillars of self-awareness where it's like first you look within yourself and then recognize that that those set of strengths and weaknesses, they don't function independently. They're always uh, an extension of the work environment or, or the personal environment that you're in. Uh, and how can you set yourself up to be as successful as you can uh, amongst others? Got it. No, very good. One of the things I really want to kind of cherry pick from the book before you go is the developmental model of intercultural sensitivity. And this is something that you, mm-hmm. I think you touched upon in conversation with me when we met up in person, but would, yeah. would you be able to go through that? I, I couldn't come with a, I, I couldn't come up with a more uh, stylish way to segue to that from what you were just saying. So we'll just, we'll just cherry pick it. <laughs> no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll just jump right to it. Uh, it's, it's all <laughs> interrelated, right? The segue is like, we're just talking, you know, skills, right? You know, cool, yeah. cool stuff to make us better. Um, this was, this was a fun one because as I did my research for the book and I kind of knew the global themes I wanted to hit on, I never knew this existed, right? It's a, it's a sociological theory, uh, with a lot of research behind it from an American sociologist named Milton Bennett, the developmental model of intercultural sensitivity. And it basically, it, it has application a lot within foreign relations and education overseas teachers have dug into this you know as a way to make real inroads into you know teaching their message uh, of course international business foreign language acquisition right um, that's kind of the formal application where this is used the most but informally and where it's applied within the high performance world is you look at it anytime there's a gap right to uh, what your current set of your own personal norms and standards where there's a gap between those and those same uh, opportunities within the environment that you're in. Uh, and again, it's just, it's basically a difference in culture. You come in and you recognize, I'm sure you dealt with this and probably have some great stories moving into America and the differences from where you grew up, right? And some of the norms and expectations and standards from where you grew up in the country that you spent the bulk of your life in versus now, you know, Philadelphia and wherever else you were in America and what we expect and what are our norms and standards and everything. And the, the model is just a way to assess that gap where I am now versus where I'm living. Uh, and when you want to bridge that gap, recognize where the person is or the situation is within the model. There's six stages within the model. And where am I right now? And how can we close that gap a little bit and get a little bit closer to agreement uh, if agreement is required in the situation, right? You might just acknowledge a cultural gap and say, cool, I'm good with that. No big deal. I am who I am. And that's what you guys do. And I'm cool being different. But there's a lot of circumstances where shortening that gap and closing that distance uh, makes for a more successful outcome. And that's what this model is about. Do you think it's something that people should be, if they know about it, they should read up on it or, um, you know, touch up their knowledge on it prior to starting a new sport or a new team? Because obviously, 
I think especially in America, like the, the leagues are dramatically different to each other. There's maybe schedule similarities between, say, the NBA and the MLB, but, um, you know, football to baseball to ice hockey are very different, uh, different beasts versus, say, in Europe, you know, rugby and soccer or football as field sports have some overt similarities. I think that the nature of games here is quite different is you know, this kind of framework, do you think a useful tool for somebody who's maybe experienced, but entering a new, you know, a new sport, a new culture? Sure. 100% to like cultural awareness is a real thing. People that are aware and good in this space have a chance to be really good right away and maybe not diminish the, their, their perception of their uh, capabilities before they even get a chance to get them going, right? Because you can do some real harm if you are interculturally insensitive, right? People like shape their views on the wrong things before you even kind of get yourself going. So my answer to your question is a resounding yes. And I'll even add to that. I mean, you you talked about the extreme examples, right? Um, coming in from a foreign country, from a different sport, and trying to now work in a new country, in a new sport. There's a, a huge gap in those things. Right. And, and to be able to fast track your awareness of the differences there would, would, would do somebody really well, but I'll, uh, there, there's even kind of a less tame, but still equally important version where, where you could just go from the same sport to the same sport in the same country. And there are differences. There are cultural differences in the organization where you don't want to misstep because the day you set foot in that new environment, in that new training facility, you are on a constant proving ground that people don't, particularly athletes, but, but even the staff, as you get rolling, like your, your history kind of, it'll precede you as an expert and the reason you got in that position, but that kind of wears thin pretty quickly, right? In a new environment. And then it becomes about who are, who you are, right? What, what are you, how are you interacting each day? What kind of professional you are amongst your teammates? How do you lead? How do you communicate and everything? And then that background and that CV kind of goes away. And then it's just about, okay, this is the guy we have. Um, and cultural missteps, if you don't uh, handle that sensitivity the right way, can, again, it can erode people's confidence in the new person, regardless of whether you came you know, from a, a different country or not. You could just be switching teams. Yeah. You're, you know, I think you're one of the people that's kind of leading the charge with with a few others in the space of, you know, cultural competence, communication skills, personal skills, personal development. I, one of the things I wonder is, you know, it's always tempting to consume more facts and figures and uh, or maybe tangible hard skills. It, why is maybe the sort of more personal side of our development only now getting a bit more um, exposure from people like yourself is you know is it this notion that it's a hard pill to swallow or maybe that people just have a an assumption that they can communicate well I just wonder why you know we've kind of gone through and, and you'll have seen it we've gone through all these technical trends as an industry where we see equipment mm -hmm. come and go or training concepts um, come in and come out and get kind of put in the big picture again why are we kind of why why is the kind of personal development side of our ability you know late to the party i just i just wonder why it's a uh, it's because it's not a new thing is it by any means it's not a new technology no. it's been around it longer than we have but it's uh yeah. it's a it's a thing that's finally getting more attention sure sure no it, it is you hit it right on the mark it's more prevalent today than it has been 
uh, at least over the course of my career. I have no reference point, you know, even greater than that. However, I, I think there's two reasons. Uh, and the first one is, you know, kind of the lack of opportunity to measure it. Right. It's it's not a it's not a sexy thing like a degree where after four years you you can kind of hold your 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 paper up with pride and say, I just completed four years. There's there's no there's very little opportunity to earn a degree in communication or self-awareness. Right. So that that's the first thing. It's hard to measure. And I think the second thing is lack of opportunities to learn these skills. They they've always traditionally been skills that grow as you do it more, right? You make your mistakes, you, you, you make some slip ups and somebody corrects you, or you spend time five, 10, 15 years in a certain profession or a certain industry. And you realize that, you know, people matter and the way you interact with people matter and a growth mindset matters. So you better kind of be aware of your strengths and weaknesses. And maybe you change jobs a couple times and all of a sudden you see like, Ooh, this um uh the 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 choreography or the the dance of a staff meeting here is a lot different than the last place right and don't be the guy that speaks out of turn in a in a a staff meeting structure at a new place and then just assume that it's going to work like the old place or something um the sport the sport example i've used a lot too and you know anybody that's traveled with a team or anything i've i've used this a lot is there's a <laughs> there's an unwritten seating chart to like planes and buses when you travel with a team right it, very few teams actually structure it out but if you're if you're on a team that has some veteran coaches or players or staff that has traveled for numerous years there's a high likelihood that they have their seat right and it, it's it sounds trivial and it's i'm making light of it and all that stuff but don't be the guy that sits, the, the new guy that's brand new to a trip on a bus or a plane. Don't be that guy that sits in a veteran seat. That will be a very playfully painful or maybe like figure or, or uh, actually painful moment in that, that you, when you take someone else's seat. Uh, and it's a, it's just a fun little example of like the, these cultural norms. But um you know, to answer your question, I think those are the two areas why they are now coming to the forefront and maybe less uh, uh, kind of part of, you know, mainstream discussion and development and everything, uh, because now they are, um, you know, with more and more programs to be able to learn them. There's communication programs out there. There's real research behind this, right? There's, you know, again, there's plenty of, you know, Harvard Business Review is, you know, is awesome with some of the articles they put out. And, you know, there's a number of universities that are doing research on the, the, the success rate of people with a strong soft skill set versus others. And they're bringing real data to the forefront on how this skill set can be really impactful uh, and can really, you know, number one is a talent ID criteria, like someone that's strong in these skill set, make really good leaders. And there's a lot of literature out there that suggests that and that proves that, that backs that. And then, you know, it's been, it's very clear to people when you're not good in this skill set, you know, that they're maybe not people that, that would earn the jobs or earn the promotions or people that get rec recommended and recognized. So I think that's the first thing. And then more and more ways to, to learn those. There's more online programs that you can take a weekend course in becoming a better communicator or, you know, learn from people that have a strong 
set of professional skills and they know how to carry themselves with really good work ethic and they're viewed as professional and they're, they're willing to teach that out there and there's more opportunities to learn the skill set. So I think those two things are the reason it's more prevalent now than before. Did anyone ever kind of mentor you on uh, these things personally? I mean, like on a personal note for myself, my sort of strength and conditioning mentor for years, Dave Rowland, uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant man and brilliant practitioner. He, you know, when I would deliver, say, team sessions or group sessions would very often observe them without me even necessarily seeing or I might be aware he's there. And then at the end of it, I would, you know, chat to him about, yeah, obviously, you know, maybe exercise selection and sort of the nuts and bolts of what was prescribed or done. But also he would talk to me about um, communication style, tone of voice, um, volume, you know, different um, communication metrics. Did anyone kind of bring that out in you as a practitioner? Did you have like a sort of thoughtful critic of yourself? I can't point to any one person that that put that put their arm around me and said, hey, let's help you grow this skill set. There are many as I look down the 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 history of my, my job experience and everything, uh, moments where people spoke to me and delivered a message, maybe in response to a mistake I made or, or the other way, which is, you know, kind of more endearing is like, Hey, you did that really well. And then, you know, as you, you hear about people that get promoted through ranks, you see people, you work with people that earn promotions and that go on to leadership positions and everything. Uh, you look at the skill set that they have, the qualities and the characteristics and the attributes that they possess as a professional, and you start to see, okay, uh, I get it. And then maybe there's some chatter around him about maybe why he got the gig over somebody else. Maybe he won the tournament over outsiders, or there was a couple people internally that were up for the the head job, but this guy rose through the ranks and got it. Um, and then it's the other way too, right? When you see people where they they don't live past their first contract. Or you have interns that, you know, there's a real opportunity to move from an intern position to, let's say, a full-time opportunity when that internship ends and they don't get it. And you see kind of, you know, how they spent their time there as an intern and you realize why they weren't thought of for that promotion and what prompted the organization or the, the department head to look outside, you know there was somebody right within our walls that could have been promoted, but they didn't get it. You start to look at maybe the reasons why they didn't get it. Now, all of that stuff over the course of years starts to point to, um, you know, maybe strengths in soft skills or deficiencies, and it starts to communicate the importance. And that's how I personally learned it versus kind of one person that was like, hey, let's, let's work on this. Let's help grow this. Jesse, I'm really aware of time, um, and I've, I've stolen a lot of yours already this morning at uh, this time of recording. Where can people where can people find you, and where can people find the book? More importantly, yeah, th- thank you, and uh, believe me, I, if we could go on longer, I, I, there's there's tons of stuff we could still hit on. So I, I don't mind talking at all. But um, so, couple places, uh, I'm growing, um, currently designing, and soon to be released website balancethebar.com. It started with a, a virtual summit that I hosted earlier this year and turning it into kind of a, more of a concept and a theme and a, uh, an initiative to continue to communicate this message. So you can go to balancethebar.com right now and, and uh, sign up for the email list and the website is coming soon. 
And on that website, you'll be able to purchase the book and plenty of other learning and growth and development resources are going to be built into the site. So we'd love for everybody to check that out. Uh, currently, the book can be purchased right on Amazon. If you just go up to uh, go to Amazon and just search the title and everything, it'll come right up and available both on the digital version and the paperback version right now. And what, what are your social media handles? We'll obviously link to them anyway. Where's the best place yep. for people to find find you most yeah i'm most active on instagram jesse k Wright, j-e-s-s-e-k-w-r-i-g-h-t uh post regularly and love interaction on dm so please anybody feel free to reach out there and uh probably the next one is linkedin right again just love love messaging on linkedin there i don't have a huge twitter or facebook presence um then yeah that's where you can find me Cool. Well, you're only up the road, so we definitely have to have coffee or beer again. And, um, you know, I'll probably try and twist your arm and persuade you to do a part two as well. So uh, thank you very much for your time. And, and thank you very much for letting me read your, your excellent book as well. So uh, appreciate you coming on today. Huge appreciation and gratitude for having me on, Andy. This was fun. Big thanks to Jesse for coming on today's show and for reinvesting his career experiences into a book for others to benefit from. You've been listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll catch you next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.